3: This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. Even if we're not socially disconnected or isolated or we don't currently feel lonely, we can certainly relate to those feelings or circumstances. Prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, approximately half of U.S. adults reported experiencing loneliness. The issue moved U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy to issue an advisory around the loneliness epidemic in America. Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy announced a bill to launch an Office of Social Connection Policy and fund CDC research to better understand the epidemic of social isolation and loneliness. Here he is on The Colin McEnroe Show in July, just after announcing the legislation.
2: I think it's been part of a broader Uh, exploration for me of what is eating in America. I I think as I get further along in my public service, I'm not interested only in just adjusting the dials of public policy, but trying to understand what is actually making people unhappy. Because I guess I think that my job in the end is supposed to be uh, pursuing policies that end up making people more satisfied with their lives. And I have come to the conclusion that there's a lot of new and unique things that are hurting Americans and making them feel unhappy today.
3: With all this federal movement on the loneliness epidemic, what efforts are there locally? Joining us now to talk about that is Deb Bibbins. She's a founder and CEO for All Ages, a Connecticut collaborative to end loneliness. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Deb.
0: Thanks so much for having me on, Catherine.
3: And we also have Gary Sikorsky, who is the co-founder and chair for All Ages, Connecticut Collaborative to End Loneliness. Thank you so much, Gary, for being with us this morning.
4: Of course. Thank you, Catherine. Glad to be here.
3: And for our listeners, you can also join the conversation and let us know if you're experiencing loneliness or what do you think is causing this epidemic. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So Gary, I want to start with you. Can you tell us how did you and Ge- Deb get connected and what inspired For All Ages?
4: Well, it's, um, it started in, in 2019. Um, just so everybody knows, Deb and I are longtime friends. Um, unfortunately, we both had very personal experiences with loved ones, uh, people close to our immediate family that was experiencing things directly connected to loneliness. And this prompted a lot of health issues. Um, sadness not connected, and actual um, physical and mental health problems. So Deb and I um, got together and we felt as though we really needed to do something about it. And um, Deb and I have been leading the charge ever since.
3: (laughs) And Deb, can you talk about when did the collaborative come together and what kinds of organizations are involved with you all? Sure.
0: So just to take a quick step back, um, Gary and I founded For All Ages back in 2019. And um, that organization is all about connecting the generations to to reduce loneliness and to reduce ageism. And so since 2019, we have been uh, hosting and facilitating programs that bring people together across the generations. Um, while we have been doing that over the past four and a half years, we heard from lots of people, um, both older, younger, in between, um, from clinicians, um, from folks in the, in the public health sector, um, and talking about h- how many people that they knew were lonely or socially disconnected. And we realized that the, the problem was bigger than we even had anticipated when we launched For All Ages. Um, And that is when we started really thinking about how can we do something to impact Connecticut's residents in a real positive way, bigger than for all ages intergenerational programs. And so we put our heads together with a bunch of really smart people and designed the Connecticut Collaborative to End Loneliness. Um, We had been in touch with Senator Murphy and with others uh, about this work and launched it this summer following our Surgeon General's. Um, historic advisory, as you mentioned early uh, earlier. And so at this point, um, yeah. I'm really pleased to say that we have formed a steering committee. We have brought now um, a number of people on, senior leaders from various organizations across the state. Um, and, and we have also been focusing on our first work stream that we're going to launch, which is focused on patient loneliness. And so, it, very specifically focused there, we've brought folks from the Connecticut Department of Public Health. We have brought um, health insurer representatives, and we have brought clinicians, um, folks that see patients day in and day out, um, both younger and older, and everything in between everyone in between all ages, um, to, to really think about how can we do something where someone comes into an office and they talk about being socially disconnected. Uh, And finding ways to identify and then provide solutions, Um, I think that's the biggest piece, Uh, and that's going to take a little bit of work from all of us working together across the state to to identify solutions uh, and, and places where people can go to improve their social connectedness.
3: When I think the fact that we're having this conversation today, and I know it's ongoing for many people, it's such a big deal because I can't imagine talking about this, say, a decade ago or maybe even five years ago. And the fact that we have an alert from Dr. Vivid Murphy about this epidemic addressing both isolation or social disconnectness and, and loneliness. Deb, can you help us distinguish these issues? You know, how are they different from each other?
0: Sure, Uh, you know, I really think that a lot of people do get, um, they they confuse both of them, so thank you for asking that. Um, Social isolation is really an objective term. And so you can identify and you can see, you can visually see whether people are isolated, meaning they are on their own, or whether they are surrounded by other people. Um, And so that is social isolation, it's very objective. The much more difficult component um, is loneliness. And loneliness is a feeling that one has that they don't belong. So they can be around a, a group of people. They can be at a party or at a social gathering and still feel lonely because they don't feel a sense of belonging and a sense of connection with those that are around them. Um, and, and so, if you were to draw a, a Venn diagram with you know the, the two um, ovals, if you will, there there would be an intersection in the middle. Um, so one oval could be social isolation; the other would be loneliness. There is an intersection. Um, social isolation can cause loneliness, and the reverse is also true. Loneliness can cause one to become socially isolated.
3: And we're here to talk about this issue, which impacts all ages, like you mentioned earlier. And I think for a lot of people, we we tend to think of the elderly population first when we're thinking about loneliness, just because retirement or you're ending a job and whatnot. But another maybe surprising fact about this epidemic, it's actually young people are more likely to feel loneliness. Can you talk about that, Deb?
0: Sure. You know, we've seen some research from a variety of places, um, Cigna being one, where they found that um, nearly 80% of young adults age 18 to 24 are feeling lonely on a regular basis. And they've identified that young adult population as the loneliest. Um, Brigham uh, Young University also has been doing some research in this area and, and focused on youth and young adults. Um, And they have found that those populations are experiencing much higher rates
3: of loneliness than other generations. And can we talk about um, how did the pandemic sort of compound these issues? I think we know that this is something that had pre-existed. But of course, with the pandemic, it has exacerbated a lot of issues, including what we're talking about today.
0: Yes, So loneliness has been a problem um, for decades. Um, It has gotten worse over the past, say, 50 to 70 years. Um, Prior to the pandemic, approximately 60% of Americans of all ages were feeling lonely. During the pandemic, understandably, the social isolation that we all had to endure um, exacerbated the problem, and the research um, shows that at, during the pandemic, approximately eighty-five percent of Americans were feeling lonely. So that number has now come back down to around sixty percent, but it is still at an epi, actually at an epidemic level. Um, the pandemic, I, I think one of the one of the only positives that I can think about that came out of the pandemic is that more people are talking about this issue that we're talking about this morning, and that's a really good thing. Uh, this is a problem that we all face um, and that we can help each other come out of. Social health is the foundation of our mental and physical health. And I would say a decade ago, people were not talking about it in that way. I think we all understand it, but we couldn't, um, I, I think, have the words to frame it out and to understand it. And so we now know as social beings, Social connectedness is important to all of us. And it is, as I as I mentioned, the foundation of both our mental and our physical health. Um, when we are not socially connected and when we are feeling lonely, um, it, it, we're more likely to feel anxious, um, we're more likely to, to feel depressed. Um, we're more likely to, as older adults, um, have heart have heart disease or potentially have a stroke. Um, You know, one of the most significant findings that Gary and I talk about an awful lot when we're out talking to people is that older adults who are lonely have a 50% higher probability of developing dementia. And so if we can take a step back and just absorb that for a moment, we can help older adults reduce the probability of developing dementia simply by ensuring that they stay socially connected. And if they're not socially connected, helping them find those
3: opportunities to do so. Well, Deb, I'm, I'm nodding my head. You can't see it, but I'm nodding my head. That, yeah. <laughs> I agree that it's just something that I think people are a lot more comfortable with talking about, especially if we're talking about it, you know, live on air. Hopefully uh, people will find it to be more comfortable to talk about it personally, just like you and, and uh, Gary, who are you able to sort of create this whole sort of movement because of this. And we'll get into this more a little bit later on. But I also want to talk about the stigma around talking about these issues. You know, is there a stigma and how do you address that?
0: There definitely is a stigma. There there historically has been shame associated with loneliness, which is really unfortunate. Um, And what Gary and I share with folks as we're out talking um, to, to various groups throughout the state, we want people to think about loneliness the same way they think about hunger. So when you're hungry, it means that you need food. And when you're lonely, it simply means that you need social connection. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. It doesn't mean that you should feel shame. It simply means that you need to go out and get socially connected and find those opportunities, whether they be with volunteering with a local nonprofit or um, joining some type of club
3: around a hobby that they enjoy. Well, Deb Gibbons and Gary Sikorsky will be staying with us to help us find our social food. They're co-founders of For All Ages and the Connecticut Collaborative to End Loneliness. And listeners, you can weigh in on the issue of social disconnection as well or how it affects you. Leave us a comment on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
2: So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on-the-go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to, to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery.
5: For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health.
3: This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. This hour, we're discussing the complex and interwoven issues of social disconnection, isolation, and loneliness, and how this epidemic is being addressed around where we live. And joining us now to discuss her experience participating in a For All Ages friendship program is Connie Malone, who is a Canton resident. Thank you so much, Connie, for joining us this morning.
6: Good morning, Cat. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk about this issue personally and um a lot of information that I've uh, obtained.
3: Well, we are very excited for your excitement. And still with us on the line is Deb Bibbins and Gary Sikorsky, who are co-founders of For All Ages and the Connecticut Collaborative to End Loneliness. And so, Connie, you recently participated in the T at Three program. Can you tell us what your experience with that was like?
6: My experience was and, and will continue to be phenomenal. Um, It was a godsend to be able to participate in this program, and I wanna personally thank Deb and Gary for all the work that they do in um, hopefully combating this epidemic. Um, I was fortunate to be connected at different um, seasons, the fall season, the spring, um, with three lovely ladies, lovely ladies. and I am participating again in in the fall season, and I'm very excited about that. You know, it gave me something to wake up to because I knew that we were going to have a conversation at some point, one of these ladies. Um, The commonalities, the way that the um, organization matched us up was just like incredible. Um, I would have, I would, sometimes that phone call from this young lady was the only phone call that i would have that day i mean i've experienced loneliness and to have a young person on the line that voluntarily wants to talk to me that wants to listen to me was just it it was incredible and we talked mainly about um each other's experiences of commonalities Um, What we had in common is cats and plants and et cetera. I mean, we would even send pictures back and forth to our uh, about our uh, cats playing or plants growing. And um, I just loved every minute of it.
3: Well, cats and plants sounds like the perfect combination to me too, Connie. I think that's really wonderful. And so you mentioned you know young people willing to call you and and to have that phone call. Can you touch about or can you touch on the power of intergenerational relationships and what makes this interaction so special for you?
6: I sure can because of course I'm retired and I don't go many places or listen to the news too much. But when I was privileged to talk to these young ladies um, in college and giving uh, giving me their perspective on world issues, community issues, was just um, so helpful, giving me that um, younger perspective versus mine. And we talked about abortion, um, gun rights, politics, in such a um, compassionate, friendly way, Um, no judgment, no, you know, criticism. It was very open, open conversations about the issues that we face today.
3: And speaking of open conversations, I'm going to take a quick call from Valentina right now, who is in Farmington. Valentina, you're on the air.
1: Hi there. Um, I just wanted to say that as a parent, uh, social connection is something I've been focusing on a lot more because I I feel like it's at the root of um, so many of the mental health struggles that a lot of uh, youth and even adults experience today. Um, And not just not being connected to others in our community, but really not being connected to ourselves either. And if you aren't connected to yourself, it's hard to connect with others. Um, You know, connection and and building and cultivating it is also It's a skill that we develop. You know, it's a social skill. Um, It's so necessary for our community to be successful and for us to be successful individually. But I feel like we focus so much on making money and getting grades um, that we leave out uh, all of the soft skills um, that are so necessary for feeling fulfillment and satisfaction, um, not just in your own life, but as a community um, and creating that together.
3: Well, thank you so much, Valentina, for sharing your thoughts. And I think community is certainly a theme for today and a sort of learning about connection and how education is, you know, beyond the classroom. So thank you so much, Valentina, for that. And Connie, you were you are listening to Valentina. we we'll would love to get your thoughts about um, her raising the issue of loneliness and isolation in sort of a big picture.
6: Well, it is rampant. Um, it's much more than um, most people realize. I experience loneliness, but to, to spread out into the community, I work or I volunteer with the elderly, all ages, but mostly elderly at um, communi- um, Cherrybrook Healthcare Center right here in Canton. And it just, it breaks my heart that people that are crying out for just just a human touch, just a human um Interaction as far as maybe reading to them or just being there, just being and listening. There are so many people there that don't have family, they don't have anyone, and they are t- truly totally alone. And I'm trying to ramp up some more volunteers to to address that need, which is just it's throughout the the community and Cherry Brook and my own complex where I live spouses are dying mostly the men and the women are left alone i mean alone and they don't know they don't they're too proud to ask for help or they don't know who to ask for help but there are lonely people living right here as my neighbors and i have a lot of um resources to um, help them but to get the resources in their hands and then to get someone to help them um, put these resources into play, that's what's difficult. They, most of them don't have, they can't afford a car or they don't have a car and it's it's difficult.
3: And, and Connie, you know, as you continue to ramp this up, as you say, and, and have these conversations, you know, with your friends and your peers and and the young people as well, you know, what sort of needs do you think this program meets in your community?
6: The community where I um, reside needs transportation to get to these resources. Um, there, there are depressed, depressed people here that just—they don't know what to do. And, and I, I can see and I can hear that some of them are just losing hope. They're just hungry for um, some type of faith-based. Um, interaction because some of them are so, you know, that's their hope is in that their faith. So there's, there's, I mean, they need, they need technical, um, technical assistance as far as even with a cell phone. I mean, that's a way of connection. And some of them don't have one or absolutely don't know how to use it. And I saw that firsthand yesterday, as a matter of fact, so, there are uh, a lot of needs which I can elaborate on, but I'll just stop here for a moment.
3: Well, as you collect your thoughts, Deb, I will actually like to bring you back in and and see what you have to say about what Connie is saying here, big picture, especially you know about transportation and and technical assistance. You know those are all things that that are needed for access to to those uh, programs. So, Deb, what do you think?
0: Yeah, you know uh, thank you for that question. When Gary and I formulate and design programs, we're always thinking about what are the barriers to people attending? And certainly, transportation is a big one. Um, I, we in the state, I think, need to do a, a better job of figuring this out. You know, As we all continue to age, um, we're going to have a, a greater need going forward. And I don't think we have figured it out yet. Mm-hmm. Um, One of the things that's really important to us is that we host in-person programs and events and this virtual T at Three community. And the whole idea behind the T at Three community is that we're we're able to bring people together. um, And as long as they have a telephone, that's really all they need is a phone. Um, Then they're able to have some sort of social connection. As Connie was saying, a weekly phone call over the course of 12 weeks where you get to grow an intergenerational friendship. Um, You know, we're connecting young adult college students with older adults. um, And we have people from all over the state participating in this program. We have people from um, young adults from six different universities this fall participating in this program. And the, the, the magic is that we don't have to worry about the transportation issue. We don't have to worry about the technology issue as long as someone has a telephone and they they are able to participate um, but i think it's a balancing act going forward you know we the transportation issue is a big one and um, i know that there's many local programs that are around that help people locally and those are all fantastic um, they would they need to be expanded Um, And as far as the technology, I know that there's more libraries that are popping up uh, around the state that have these programs where young adults are teaching older adults about technology. Um, And and I'm all for those. I I think they are absolutely needed. and, And I think they're a blessing to people.
3: Well, and with technology, joining us now through Zoom to discuss the power of intergenerational programs is Siri Pauretti, who's a senior at Amherst College in Massachusetts, who brought the T at Three program to her campus. Thank you so much, Siri, for being with us this morning.
7: Yeah, good morning. So glad to be here.
3: So, Siri, you started college in 2020. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience with T at Three?
7: Yeah, for sure. So when I entered my freshman year at Amherst, it was the summer of 2020, you know, the pandemic had been going on since March then. And I sort of found out about TA3 and 4 All Ages through a local newsletter, reached out to Deb and Gary and found out about TA3 and asked them if, you know, they needed any help sort of expanding it to colleges like Amherst, which was in Massachusetts. Um and I will say, you know, like coming into college during the pandemic was a very unique experience, especially as a first year, sort of dealing with the newness of college and everything. And I was very lucky to be uh, able to study in person at college, but there were necessary safety measures that sort of isolated uh, me and other students from the rest of the community. So it was very lovely to have a program like Foral Ages where I this person you know that i knew i could have a consistent conversation with every week
3: and sari how would you say the issues of loneliness and isolation have been both exacerbated and spotlit during the pandemic as issues we can certainly all relate to
7: for sure yeah i know i think deb sort of mentioned that statistic that young people are often affected by loneliness but i think with the pandemic. Um, a lot of us who might not have felt lonely before definitely did in this unique way the pandemic brought a sense of isolation upon us. So I think for the first time, myself and a lot of um, my peers were experiencing loneliness in a way we might not have encountered before. And I think, you know, slowly that is changing. You know, the pandemic has sort of um, not quite gone away, but it's definitely, you know, in a much better state than before. We're able to have these in-person interactions, but during that time, you know, 2020, where there was so much uncertainty in the air, honestly, about like, is school gonna still come back or just like the state of the world in general? It was nice to have that virtual connection that was, you know, obviously physically safe with the COVID requirements and still allowed that sense of connection with someone who wasn't within my college bubble as well. You know, like I couldn't go back home during that time because of COVID safety. So it was nice to have someone from back home from Connecticut that I could talk to.
3: What I love about this is it's a two way street, right? You're benefiting from it. Your economy is benefiting from it. It seems like there's a really bright spot here because this is such a widespread issue. But something that we can relate to is feeling lonely or being isolated. You know, this feels like it's very much a part of our shared humanity. Is that something that you see, Siri?
7: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think loneliness is inevitably part of the human condition. It's an unfortunate part, but I think it is someone, it is something someone um, will experience at some point in their life. And I think that's like why programs like this are, are so great, because they are community-based um, and you really just have to rely on other people to get you through those tough moments. And when you're connected to other people that you might not have had the chance to meet without programs like this, it's nice to get to know someone that might be out of your usual social circle. I mean, I never would have met or talked to the person I was um, paired up with had it not been for all ages because a lot of my community here is you know, younger peers, my professors, and they are all great people. But it's nice to get, that sort of community um, from someone who is also experiencing loneliness in a very different way with their different uh, life circumstances and experiences they've had. So I definitely learned a lot from my partner and, you know, also tried to impart some of my own like knowledge or like experiences. And I think we definitely enjoyed each other's company.
3: Well, we definitely uh, appreciate you sharing your experience and knowledge with us. And, And it's so fascinating because I think while We were very isolated in some way during the pandemic i feel like a lot of people also found connection um, through the disconnection if you will so siri you know you've been having these phone calls is a phone call really something that can do wonders
7: yeah i mean i don't think wonders is anything that like even a phone call will do i think it's a lot of like continuous support that will eventually help with this problem. I mean, I think loneliness is very pervasive. I don't think it's something that this nation or maybe even this world will ever eradicate at any point in time. But I think the numerous programs that this organization has done and that other community-based organizations are doing, whether it's a phone call, whether or not it's moving to more in-person community, I think it is slowly chipping away at that problem. I think it's all about providing more accessible and equitable resources for loneliness that will really be the key to addressing this, um, what, like you mentioned, Dr. Murthy calls a, um, an epidemic that we're experiencing right now.
3: And i got one more question for Deb, before we go there, Connie, I would love to ask for your final thoughts here, you know, your response to what Siri has to say.
6: I wanted to add one thing. Yes, thank you. One thing about the um, T for three phone calls, um, the ladies and I really developed a bond, whereas we spoke infrequently after the T for three session ended. And one lady who lives across the state actually asked me to her college graduation, which was—I mean, I was so grateful. I, I wasn't able to go, but that's how—that's how close that the um, the younger ladies and myself, you know, had grown. And I just want again—I'm so grateful for that because I don't have—I don't talk to anybody. I talk to my cats, and when that phone call came, I actually my heart just just lifted. I was just very glad. And loneliness is is an epidemic. It's a major problem. My, my fear is growing old alone. I mean, I've heard that elsewhere. That's my big fear.
3: Well, thank you so much, Connie, for sharing that with us. I think our hearts just sort of collectively lifted with you there. And and Deb, really quickly, you know, how are Connie's and Siri's experiences sort of emblematic of this program? And can you talk a little bit about the importance of intergenerational friendships?
0: Sure. So, uh, you know, I, it, it it makes my heart really happy to hear to hear Connie uh, and Siri talk about how. Um, the T at Three community, which is our virtual community, has has helped them um, very personally, and 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 I want to thank them both for 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 being willing to share that with everyone this morning. We have had uh, hundreds of people go through this program. It's a twelve week program, and um, we've had many people, as Connie alluded to, um, continue to stay connected after that. Pro- if the after the program is over, um, w- which is wonderful. I, I think that intergenerational programs—the the magic of intergenerational programs—is that it, we're able to help two populations of people simultaneously. And you know, older adults um, have so much wisdom and to share with young adults, and young adults have you know so much to share. With older adults, you know, they've got the energy and they're wanting to learn, they're wanting to have a mentor in their lives that are perhaps outside of their family circle. And when we bring these two generations together, whether it be for a day program that we run or whether it's a multi week program, in both of those situations, we really see the bonding taking place and the companionship and the friendship. Um, and we find that people intergenerationally really are able to share with one another um, and, and really be their authentic selves. Um, and that's something that, that Gary and I hold very dear. Um, and it's something I mean, it is the basis of For All Ages work. Um, and it's something that we hope um, that we will be able to continue to
3: expand as, as we grow. And there's information on our website on how you can participate in programs like T at three at ctpublic.org slash where we live. Colleen Malone in Canton and Siri Pouretti at Amherst College. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Thank you, Kat. Yeah. And we'll be continuing this conversation with Deb Bibbins and Gary Sikorsky after a quick break. A question for you, though. How do loneliness, isolation or social disconnection affect you? Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. Prior to the COVID 19 pandemic, approximately half of U.S. adults reported experiencing loneliness. The issue moved U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy to issue an advisory around the loneliness epidemic here in America. And back with us to help us better understand the loneliness epidemic is Deb Bibbins and Gary Sikorsky, who are co-founders of For All Ages and the Connecticut Collaborative to End Loneliness. And also for our listeners, remember that you can also join the conversation and share your experience. Leave us a comment on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So Gary, I wanna start with you here. We've talked about a couple of demographics and and ages that are uniquely affected by this epidemic, but men are also experiencing this in very unique ways. Can you help us walk through that?
4: Sure, I'd be glad to. Um, I I first really wanted to just make a quick comment about what was mentioned before with Connie and and Deb. Sure, go for it. Is that, um, you know, part of this advisory, this national advisory um, is directed at all the states, Right. And and because the Connecticut Collaborative convening by by us for all ages, this is addressing those exact issues. Connie mentioned transportation as, as a big one. And I guess just as an overall statement, I wanted to make sure that people understand that the purpose of the collaborative is to address these very issues. You know, transportation is a huge thing, and you can't address that without funding. Um, so that's one of the facets that I just wanted to point out, because How do you solve this problem right how do you solve the connection problem the loneliness problem well you have to you have to get the right people in the right room and that's what the collaborative is all about and i just wanted to kind of start with that and then i'll answer your question about how how does how does men play into this and i thought I'd, i'd share some information about loneliness and social isolation just with some perspectives and some human i'll say social observations Um, As Deb and all of us have been saying this morning, loneliness loneliness can affect anybody for age, race, nationality, religion, socioeconomic status, and even gender. Um, Based on Cigna's first survey, there really wasn't much result difference between male and female loneliness score. And that's based on a UCLA loneliness scale. But in 2020, when they re-released new findings uh, men in fact were more lonely than women so what does that mean well th- kind of understand that there's probably several reasons some of which are cultural right historically if you if you envision let's say the mid 19th the mid 20th century right you had that classic scenario where you know the, the mother stayed home and the husband went off to work and the 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 mom ran the household, she was in charge of the neighborhood, the social connections, the cooking, their trips to the store, uh, churches, social gatherings. So, so that's a, that's a cultural phenomenon. So another thing would be, how is, how has living habits changed? So I came across this statistic that I thought I would share from the Surgeon General's report. In 1960, single-person households made up 13% of all the country's households. Something you might expect. But in 2022, that number more than doubled to 29%. So just by definition, that puts you in a position where you certainly could be more lonely just by being by yourself. And that is not unique to females or males.
3: Right, but I'll,
4: I'll I'll also say that back to what Deb was talking about with stigma, certainly around admitting or declaring that that a male is lonely, on um, the stereotype the stereotypes around males, um, you know, being macho or don't want to be vulnerable, that can certainly cause a part of that problem with with male loneliness. Um, one of the ways for all ages, Deb and myself, address it is well it's, it's quite simple um i'm an adult male myself and uh i easily connect with with the male generations as we're doing programs and events and what does that do well it fosters connection it builds trust and ultimately understanding so we create better social health um, I hope that helps answer the question, Kat.
3: No, absolutely. We, we you know we want you to share your experience, and and really quickly here too. And I want to play a clip from Dr. Salmia Kurtakoti, who's the chief of geriatric geriatric medicine at Hartford Hospital, who spoke about how she addresses men she feels may be less open to talking about loneliness or even depression. Let's take a quick listen here.
7: I think women are just a little bit more open uh, to answering questions. I think we see that with depression and anxiety too, right? Um, So I think there are other signs that sometimes you can look up, like especially for depression. When I'm talking to a man with depression, rather than asking, are you depressed? I might ask more so, are you more irritable or frustrated, right? So there's different ways that you're actually talking or or trying to elicit some of the information, um, so yeah, so when it comes to loneliness, right? Rather than saying, "Okay, are you by yourself? Or are you lonely?" It's like, what other activities are you involved in, right? How do you keep yourself busy? What does your day-to-day life look like? So I think it's a different ways of probing these questions to have them discuss it a little bit more rather than being direct and asking.
3: So Gary, we love your response here to Dr. Koda Cody's approach. You know, asking if you're. Uh, keeping yourself busy versus, you know, are you by yourself?
4: Sure, I, I think I think that's that's spot on. Um, my gut always tells me that, that that's very true. And back to what I was saying about cultural differences, this is how we've grown up. Um, it doesn't surprise me that that males may be a little hesitant to declaring or admitting um, their their troubles with loneliness and feeling less connected. Um, no one in the room. Uh, we often say something like this. No one in a room ever raises their hand and says, hey, I'm lonely, right? That's something that's that's very private. But I, I think the good news here is that um, maybe a little shred of goodness that came out of out of the COVID pandemic is maybe people are talking about it more. And ultimately, that's what we need to do. I mean, I think that's what's spawning all this effort. From across the board, nationally and in the state, and even at this very program, um, so I think we're out, we're all on our way. So I'm thrilled to hear those comments, and um, hopefully we can help everybody here.
3: Absolutely, and here Pat, can I, I jump in? I, we actually want to do a quick clip, so afterwards we okay. can get back to you. Thank you very much for that. I do want to play a clip from Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy, both on the links between political extremism and loneliness, and also to how men are uniquely affected.
2: We've all been lonely, and And when you're lonely, there's a lot of emotions that come over you. Probably the first is sadness, but one of them is anger, right? One of the things that you often feel when you're lonely is angry and you want to know why you're angry and you're more willing to listen to arguments about, you know, the reasons why your life isn't the way that you had hoped. And those scapegoats get sort of dialed up very easily for you by sort of demagogues and political fringe movements. And so, yes, I think there's a correlation between know more fringy political movements in this country, more violent threats to democracy and more people um in particular men um who I think are going through a whole set of other very radical transitions at the same time um, who are feeling
4: pretty alone.
3: Gary, I want to get back to you really quickly first on this. You know, how does this reinforce what you're seeing?
4: Well, I think it I think it's spot on. Um if, if you look at everything that's going on um, in, in a lot of different avenues and perspectives today, um, anger is a big one, right? If, if you don't feel comfortable, if you don't feel connected, if you don't hear, feel as though your voice is heard for any number of reasons, lonely being a huge one, um, that, that leads to discourse and it leads to unhappiness and a poor quality of living. Um, so I think we're all kind of saying the same things here. Um, the key is, is that we have to try to fix it. And I think the real positive note to all this is that we can fix it. We, we we just have to connect, and we have to talk, and we and I think together, when you when you connect, a lot of these ills go away, and and that ultimately heads for the solution to the problem.
3: And this is certainly an issue that we'll be covering again soon here on Where We Live. I want to read a quick statement from, from organizer Liz Stern, who messaged us on Facebook discussing how acutely nursing homes are affected by the epidemic. A 2021 law in Connecticut requires two essential support persons at all times, even in a public health emergency Liz says Senator Blumenthal is in the process of introducing an analogous federal bill at this time. Thank you so much, Liz, for sharing that information with us. And, Deb, real quickly, I know you had a comment earlier, but I also have a question for you. Uh, we heard from Dr. Kodakoti, who also talked about how our over-reliance on phones and sort of scrolling can really deepen this sense of fierce independence and perhaps even create a kind of distraction from real feelings of loneliness. Is that something that you would agree with?
0: I absolutely agree. Thanks, Kat. Uh, you, you know, social media, um, it, for all of its positive, um, you know, all of its positivity has also caused some really big problems, um, especially for the young adult population who who spend hours a day um, just scrolling and seeing what they believe is their friends' um, better lives. Um, and, and it leads to depression. Um, And and it's causing a real, real big problem. Um, You know, when we take a look at, for instance, the 2021 Connecticut School Health Survey, the percentage of high school students who were reporting that their mental health is most of the time not good is nearly 30 percent and i believe a lot of that has to do with social media and the amount of time that youth and young adults are spending um, scrolling as as you say Um, you know certainly older people do it too Um, and i think that you know if people take a step back and maybe what we'll find five to ten years from now by researchers is that as social media has become more prominent in our lives over the past couple of decades Loneliness has also increased. And I think there's a direct correlation, a direct causal correlation between the two. And I, I believe it's one of the things that Senator Murphy is focused on federally um, is a bill to put some guardrails in place um, for social media uh, for youth and uh, young adults,
3: and really quickly, got about thirty seconds left. But we have Amber on Twitter who asked us: You know, how do you think messaging that causes people to fear strangers and people with different backgrounds, and how that may play into disconnection and loneliness? You got thirty seconds.
0: I I really believe that um, you know, as Gary was mentioning. We need to see each other as humans. Um, and, and that is the basis of, of who we are. Um, we are all humans. We all need social connection. We all need social, um, social health in our lives in order to be mentally and physically healthy. And, and I think we really need to start to come together. Um, and, and, and I think once we can
3: do that, um, we're going to see an improvement overall, um, in, in our health. That was beautiful. You've been listening to Deb Bibbins and Gary Sikorsky. They're co-founders of For All Ages and the Connecticut Collaborative to End Loneliness. Thank you both so much for being here today.
0: Thanks so much for having us on, Kat.
4: Thanks for having us.
3: And a reminder to our listeners, you can meet me and several other Connecticut public talk show hosts at Aquila's Nest Vineyards in Newtown on Wednesday, September 20th from 6 to 8. Come and share what's happening around where you live and what topics you think we should tackle. Visit ctpublic.org slash vineyard to purchase tickets and we would love to see you there. I'm Catherine Shin. Today's show is produced by Katie Pellico. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Download where we live, anytime on your favorite podcast app, and thank you all very much for listening.